Hello and welcome to the inaugural podcast of the inaugural Bond Review for Mr. Whiskers Reviews. Today, we will be reviewing Man with the Golden Gun from 1974, Roger Moore as James Bond. Now, before I get into my review, I guess I should go over a little bit about my Bond history to kind of set this up a little bit. And I might go into more detail in future podcasts and James Bond reviews. But I had originally hadn't watched the series up until 2005, Christmas break, where a roommate in college let me borrow his box set that, at that time, it was 20 movies through Pierce Brosnan's uh, Die Another Day was the last movie. And... Actually, Die Another Day was the only James Bond I had seen at that time, and I, I thought it was good, but again, it was the only one I had watched, so wasn't a very good point of reference, and I assure you that opinion has changed since then. But I, I watched this box set, and Man with the Golden Gun, it, it did stick with me. It stuck with me because, you know, Christopher Lee... As a villain, still one of the better villains in the series. That iconic shot with him and Roger Moore back to back. Knick Knack as the henchman. Uh, Bond Island. Just, you know, gorgeous, gorgeous scenery. One of the cool villain layers of the series. So I've always kind of had a soft spot for this. And before I get into my thoughts, let's read this generic uh, brief summary of the movie to kind of set it up. James Bond searches for a stolen invention that can turn the sun's heat into a destructive weapon. He soon crosses paths with the menacing Francisco Scaramanga, a hitman so skilled he has a seven-figure working fee. Bond then joins forces with swimsuit-clad Mary Goodnight, and together they track Scaramanga to a tropical isle hideout, where the killer for hire lures the slick spy into a deadly maze for a final duel. My take on the plot is... This movie really is smaller scale. You can take this Solex, which gives us a preview 15 years roughly in advance of the terrible Superman 4 effects when they show off this Solex's sun's heat as a laser, destroying Bond's plane so he is unable to leave the island. Or if you prefer another laser-like weapon like Diamonds Are Forever, that came just two movies before it. But that's really just a, a plot device to put Bond and Lee on a, a collision course where they have to mate up and they have to fight it out in the end. And it just it's just kind of a weak plot. And I really liked the idea of just somebody coming after Bond, just kind of, it's their mission and they're determined to do so. I, I feel like they really could have just leaned into that more. A small, narrow focus. And that would have been interesting, because that definitely would have been different. This movie is definitely different by itself, but it's just, I feel like, amongst other things, they didn't really weren't really sure what they were wanting to do with this movie. It was just uneven. Obviously, everything is going to drive at these two meeting that's going to happen the intro scene a non-bond pre-title sequence i might add up to be 
a throwback to kind of from Russia with Love, where Red Grant is after this makeshift uh, disguised Connery Bond, and to show him as a true force to be reckoned with. You know, we're building this encounter throughout the movie where these two forces uh, collide. And I just don't feel like the movie gives us that. Christopher Lee takes out this guy one shot in this game that him and Knickknack play where they're wagering Sarah Manga's wealth and island if Knickknack ever gets the upper hand and he chooses these assassins. And that's a really cool thing. And that's really one of the favorite things I like about this movie is, is that concept. And where Knickknack is openly trying to kill his boss, essentially, to get all his wealth and possessions. But let's get into some things that I did like about the movie and go into things I didn't like some mixed bag things before I wrap up with my final thoughts and, and conclusion. So things I did like, in no particular order, is I love Roger Moore's Bond at being the know-it-all, the smug know-it-all. You know, they usually ask Bond, at least in the older films, what do you know about this subject? And he just prattles on, rattles off all these details, and just the way Moore delivers it, his facial expressions, like, did I do good enough? Knowing that he far surpassed everybody's expectation in the room. What do you know about a man called Scaramanga, Douglas Scaramanga? Oh, yes. The man with the golden gun. Born in the circus, father of the ringmaster, possibly Cuban, mother English, a snake charmer. The KGB recruited him there and trained him in Europe, where he became a, an overworked, underpaid assassin. He went independent in the late 50s. Current price, $1 million a hit. I just love that. The two Q's, as I call it, it was Q with this other guy, and they were discussing the origins of the golden bullet that Moore had recovered, and what gun it could have came from, and just their dialogue go back and forth. It was it was just neat to have a sidekick with Q talking these details, and James Bond's completely lost. Like, I have no idea. What is a Lazar? And they're like, Lazar is a person. And that leads us into the Lazar scene where James Bond, Roger Moore, great edgier Bond. You think that he's going to charm the information out of this guy, and then the next thing you know, Moore is pointing a gun at him and loading it. And then he says, oh, I guess I was one inch short, one inch off, I should say, when the guy had told him earlier how he had designed the gun for, for somebody that was uh, missing fingers on their their shooting hand or their trigger finger I should say and it was just really neat to see Roger Moore get into that gritty edgier bond that he gets lost as his portrayal most people think he's too cartoony he's too funny he's comedian and it seems like this that really show that Roger Moore can bring out that edge, that he can be. Mr. Bond, bullets do not kill. It is the finger that pulls the trigger. Exactly. I'm now aiming precisely at your groin. 
says, speak over and behold your peace. And we don't need it all the time. I like Roger Moore the way he is. And the only times I don't like Roger Moore is when they write him to be something he's not, which I'll get into in a little bit. But I feel like this is an underrated soundtrack. Uh, I'm not in love with the theme song by any means, but I love this fusion rock going on with the man with the golden gun theme. That was neat. I like the vaudeville western music that's in Scaramanga's Playhouse. And then how they did the Man with the Golden Gun to close out the movie to the end credits where it was a slower paced before they ramped up and crescendoed into the actual credits themselves and volume and pace and tempo of the song. Just very cool. And then as I mentioned before, I, I love this ongoing game between Nick Knack and Scaramanga. Uh, what I didn't like was, and, and these are just kind of Bond logic things, as I will describe and, and probably refer back to, where I know you have to kind of disconnect from reality, but just certain things I just can't let go, but I'll, I'll keep them to a minimum when there's a lot of them in films, because no Bond movie is perfect by any means. But the Bond sumo encounter, where they're fighting it out, and he gets knocked out, and well, instead of killing him, we'll just throw him into this ninja school. That didn't really make sense. I mean, it led to a cool Indiana Jones-like scene where, you know, the guy's posing and working through his uh, pre-fight sequence and being all impressive, and, and Roger Moore just totally cheap shot, boots him in the face, and drops him. That, that was great. I mean, if it was just for that scene alone... Totally worth it, in my opinion, just to get that. Because that's exactly how Roger Moore would have fought. I mean, he's not going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these guys who are black belts. He's going to do what it takes to survive it. Love that. And which leads into him escaping and how Hip's nieces, they bail him out and fighting off a bunch of goons. That was really cool to, to see the girls protecting Bond instead of the other way around. But then that leads into leaving Bond behind. You know, he is pounding on the back of the trunk. The girls are telling him from the back seat, slow down, Bond's not in, get whatever they're saying to him. I'm sure it has something along those lines. And they just drive off just to initiate the water boat scene. And I just don't see there's any way you can defend that. And then, of course, you got one of the coolest car stunts in... The whole series, slide whistle. I'm not going to say anything more about that. And then something I haven't heard in reviews before that I want to bring out as my last point I didn't like in this section is Miss Anders or Maud Adams' sudden reveal and I believe what was their second encounter. It definitely wasn't their first where she was the one that sent Bond the 007 marked bullet to enlist his help to escape from Scaramanga. And from their first encounter where, where more he's roughing her up and he's about ready to break her arm and he smacks her around, that she could have mentioned that at any point in time and she didn't. But if she wants Bond's help, why wouldn't she say something? And then to tie in with that, this is where one of those scenes where they're trying to make more something he's not. And I know we disagree with how the scene was from interviews and, and his autobiography. But 
this is one of those cases where they haven't figured out Bond for more yet. And this is only movie two of the more era. So it's understandable, but it's just one of those things when I think of the scenes where Roger Moore and the early goings and his reign as Bond, this is what I, I will easily point to is, yeah, they, they didn't write that right for him at all. I mixed bag areas, J.W. Pepper. I think his scene and his scenes in Live and Let Die went on way too long. It, it killed part of that movie for me. He's better in this movie. Uh, yeah, I guess he's okay as comic comedic relief, but. Now I know you. Oh no. You're that secret agent. That English secret agent from England. He just takes away from the tone of this movie. This movie has a serious tone. It could be very grounded. It doesn't need to be licensed to kill grounded where he's all about revenge or whatever, but he's just not needed in this movie. And he's good for a laugh or two, but I, I would just leave him out if, if given the choice and, or minimize it significantly. But he has no business being in Thailand looking for a car or whatever he's doing. The duel between Scaramanga and Bond at the end, I wish there could have been more to it. I kind of feel like it gets into the mixed bag portion, of course, where, you know, Scaramanga is supposed to be this top-notch assassin, but he has to rely on gimmicks to kill Bond. He has to lure people in, kill them in this playhouse of his, which has all these disruptions and auditory, sensory interruptions to disorient people so he can shoot them. And say, well, he's the villain, he's got to make sure he wins, and Yes, Nick Knack is trying to kill him and stack the deck against him. So I get that. It's just, I don't know. They're leading up to this. You're waiting for these two to square off. And it just seems like it just wasn't executed well at all. Uh, Bond drops his gun. Gives him a scaffolding. It makes a whole bunch of noise. He somehow changes into the suit where the mannequin was at the beginning. And blindsides Scaramanga. I, I don't know. And then Nick Knack as a henchman. Some days I think he's pretty cool and other days I don't. And I, I think that's... He's definitely unique. He's one of the more memorable henchmen. I think as more time goes on, I feel like I'm more okay with him. I just feel like in the ending where he's just chucking wine bottles at Bond and I don't know. I, I would like to see him with more gadgets or utilizing the boat as... You know, he knows the way around the boat they're escaping off of to be more of a match for Bond. Because they just, I don't know, I just feel like that ending scene just really turns off the, the movie for me from what was a mediocre ending to begin with. So, my closing overall thoughts. I still have a soft spot for this movie. I haven't talked about... The Bond girl, good night at all. I feel like they they wrote her bad. She's a ditz, incompetent. She is more of a liability than anything else. And for a field agent, that just doesn't make any sense. One minute Bond wants her, next minute he seems to be embarrassed to be around her. J.W. Pepper, again, turning this movie kind of a slapstick parody as opposed to a spy thriller. I love this idea of the anti-Bond 
Christopher Lee. I wish they would have spent more time together. That lunch sequence they had before the duel, very cool. I wish there wouldn't have been so many distracting elements going on. The Muay Thai fight where Bond is trying to get the Solex and it's distracting when Scaramanga is talking about his background and previous life in the circus. I want to hear more about Scaramanga, but I gotta worry about Nick Knack and his peanuts and, and, and more trying to get the Solex off the ground. And it just covers up what would have been a great conversation between Scaramanga and more otherwise potentially. This is a solid Bond entry. It's not my top half by any means, but I don't mind watching it. And this gets a, a six out of 10 for me. So I, I feel like even though it has the flaws, it is uneven. I think they rushed it out because Live and Let Die had just come out the previous year. I think a little bit more time, a little bit more development, and, and this could easily have turned into one of the better Bond movies, or at least gone into the upper half of, of my favorites for the series. So thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Appreciate any comments or feedback. And look forward to doing this all over again for another movie on Mr. Whiskers Reviews.